Well, so, hey everybody, I'm Ben Forrest. Uh, this is the first time I've been teaching, um, so at least on a Sunday morning, so it's quite an honor. Uh, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit intimidating because a lot of you are very, very smart, so um, I don't by any means think I'd know everything what I'm talking about, so jump in and uh, tell me what you should. <laughs> so we'll, <clears throat> we'll see. Um, I want to kind of just start off, uh, Alan said a lot of the same things I, I was going to say, kind of introduce this week. Um, when I signed up to teach this class, I was just like, which weeks of the summer am I going to be here? Uh, it was quite an honor for Eric to ask me. Um, and I remember one time, Randall, you were teaching a class. Anytime you were asked to teach a class, you always said yes. And actually, that popped into my head when he asked. I was like, well, I'm going to say yes. No matter what, I'm going to say yes. Fortunately, I, sh yeah, I, sh I should have done a little bit of research because I, I just put my name down for the date I knew I would be here, and I ended up being the longest section of Scripture in Deuteronomy. <laughs> um, so we're not going to get through all of it by any stretch. Um, but it's also not just the longest. It's also, it seems like, the most random pieces. It's the really odd laws. Uh, this class could quickly go from PG to rated R uh, based on the things that we're talking about. Um, so... Uh, we'll try to get through it as best we can, but um, I have really, really enjoyed this study of Deuteronomy uh, because it's come off the tail end of several other classes at Otter Creek. Uh, last, I guess, quarter, I was part of the John class on Wednesday nights and then part of the Romans class that was on Sunday mornings, and those have been really, those are really, really extraordinary. And having had those and then going back into Deuteron Deuteronomy and listening to some of the things that Paul draws out from the Torah is just fascinating. Uh, and the same with John and how John just kind of pulls back out of the law and puts it back into Jesus' ministry um, has really been, been really fun to study Deuteronomy. <clears throat> one of the things that stood out to me um, was a tweet by one of my favorite preachers, uh, Timothy Keller. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever listens to his, his preaching, but a couple, couple months ago he made a tweet that said, If Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, spent so much time in Torah and understanding the law, how in the world do we think that we can't spend that much time um, if, if Jesus is doing that? And so that really stood out to me. And as, as much as I've spent time in Deuteronomy this summer, just listening to the other classes, um, it really has popped out to me that I've only begun to scratch the surface, that this book goes so deep if you will stay in it. So <clears throat> having said that, Last week, Alan talked about a lot of the injustices. We didn't even get to chapter 20, <clears throat> and um, I want to go back, and that wasn't even one of my chapters. I'm already trying to cover 21 through 26, uh, but I'm going to step back and just highlight 20 really quickly. Then we'll move into uh, 21 through 26, and we may just let you guys pick which of these 43 laws you want to talk about, and we'll talk about them. But I at least want to set some context and some boundaries <clears throat> uh, around where we're going. So. One of the things we haven't talked about in Deuteronomy is the structure that, that they write Deuteronomy with. And it's this or chiasm or concentric patterns that you see all through Deuteronomy, which is really fascinating. And uh, so, so what happens here is you start with like A, this, this thought. We go all the way back to Deuteronomy 14. There's this theme of, of we are a sacred people. Israelites are sacred. Uh, and then we go to Deuteronomy 14 through 15. There's this theme about taking care of the needy, making sure that we respond to their needs. Um, one of the things I like, uh, this commentary by Dwayne Christensen as part of the Word Commentary series, he actually talks about a lot of these laws with the needy, uh, with widows. He, he labels it as true religion. 
And I'm going to kind of stick with that term, but the reason he calls it true religion is he goes all the way to James. And what James defines as religion that is pure is what? Taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans, and remaining unstained from evil and from sin. So you are going to see that theme all the way through Deuteronomy, is to stay away from the, that stuff, take care of the needy, take care of the widows, take care of the aliens, uh, all the slaves, those you capture. There's this aspect of true or pure religion uh, that we want to stick with. We go to C, we see uncleanliness, um, the, and again, back to pure religion, right? Keep yourself holy, keep yourself clean, undefiled. We talk about community a little bit later in Deuteronomy. We move down to talking about the death penalty. We had some pretty good discussions about that one week. Then we move to taking care of your brothers, uh, their property, your love for each other. We talk about um, the inheritance. God talks about this land is, is yours as an inheritance. It's not something that you just take on your own. It's something that God is giving to Israel. Then we move to uh, discussion about our victory against enemies. And then we talk about uh, the blood of innocent people. And that's kind of where Alan got us to last week. So what's interesting about this chiastic structure is we get to chapter 20. And this is the main theme <laughs> when we get to this part is war. And this whole part of Deuteronomy is we're going to war. You're going into this land that I'm giving you. And when you do, keep in mind all of these things. That we're not just any kind of nation going into war. We're not going to go into war like all the other nations. But it's going to be very, uh, it's going to be different because you're a chosen people. You have to live as a chosen people set apart. And these are the things that are going to make you different. Follow these laws, follow these rules, so that when you go into war, these things are on your minds. Then it's going to start as we go through 21 through 26. We're going to see these same themes play back out again. It's just going to be in reverse order. You're going to see the, we're going to talk about the blood of innocent people and what's expected uh, to happen when that happens. Uh, we'll see victory against enemies play out again. So as you read through, hopefully you read through uh, this long passage of scripture, you probably picked up on a lot of these same themes, but in reverse order. And so I think it's really interesting uh, the way the writers of the Torah lay all these stories out. Um, you see the same structure in other stories like the flood. You just see you know, point A, point B, point C, then you see point C, point B, point A made again. And so the focus is what's in the middle. That's what we really need to pay attention to. So let's talk about chapter 20 as it relates to war for just a second. As you read through that passage, you see there, <clears throat> this is kind of God saying, this is, this is holy war, this is my war, uh, and it's not like everybody else's wars, right? Um, so what does holy war mean? What does holy war entail? Uh, there's, a, there's lots of, of passages um, or lots of excerpts that people have written about holy war. Usually when we think of jihad, and holy war we think of Islamic extremists um, but I think when we look at Israel holy war is a lot different what holy war to Israel should be defined as is is this is God's war not man's and all through this scripture we see where at any point man starts to say this is my war um, or I've got power or I can do what I want to do it's no longer holy it's no longer God's war. It's, it becomes your war. Uh, it's interesting right now, you see in the news, you got one leader with a bad haircut versus another leader with a bad haircut. 
and there's there's nothing holy about this right it's 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 man fighting man there's there's nothing holy god is not choosing to have war on this because there's no long-term plan here um a big part of this war even probably uh you have to go all the way back to genesis and when you go right after the flood in genesis 9 you see god making a covenant um with man that i'm not going to bring about floodwaters again he makes a covenant with the earth i'm not going to bring about floodwaters to destroy man i'm not going to destroy earth and i want you to go into into covenant with you so we have a relationship uh god and man have a relationship and you see that continue to play out through deuteronomy and that's what this war is all about is god's got this long-term plan leading all the way up to jesus Um, war is not the ideal thing god does not want war so as you read through chapter 20, God gives all these people a way out. As you, as you approach cities, knock on the gates. Say, hey, this is God's war. Um, you can come out peacefully. Nothing's going to happen to you. Um, but if they choose not to, trouble, right? You've got to get on board with what God's doing here as they move into the new land. What I thought was interesting, though, in chapter 20 is there's four ways to get out of having to go fight. One is if you have a new house, <laughs> if you have a new vineyard. Uh, or if you are newlywed. And then the fourth one is really unique if you're just simply afraid. <laughs> um, and so you don't get that in today's modern war, right? If you go to war, there's an element of fear with every soldier that's going into battle. Um, at least you would think so. But God's got this, this thing where don't be afraid. This is my war. Trust in me. Be faithful. Um, have faith in what I'm doing. Uh, and it's going to be okay. It's my plan. It's my war. Um, and it also is kind of, it, it looks ahead to Gideon. You remember the story of Gideon? You only need 300 people. Um, but it, as numbers grow, as armies get bigger, it's easy for people to start thinking, this is our war. Look at what we've done. We've got these masses. We can do whatever. We, we can take over the world. It's back to the whole Tower of Babel, right? Look at all of us. We're united. Let's build a tower to the heavens. And you get away from this idea that this belongs to God. Um, which is a really tough thing to think about in our day and time when we start thinking about just war and wars and what's right and when should we go to battle. It's really difficult to do that out, you know, in, outside the context of is this God's plan and does God know what he's doing? And for us to sit back and judge God about war is a pretty kind of intimidating I- idea. And it's easy to look at this and go, why would God kill people? I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 why would God destroy these people? It's not my place. I can't even begin to think. Maybe some of you have some better ideas, but I just know that God's got this plan to restore creation, uh, restore his relationship with man leading all the way up to Jesus. Um, so this whole thing about war, now we're shifting. If we're going to war, here's the things we got to do right. Here's the things that you got to do. you got to focus. All right, any thoughts, any feedback or questions or comments on that part before we dive into 21 through 26. I love the fact that, uh, well, I don't really love the fact that it's still with people that don't have the truth. Yeah, yeah, and that goes back to the Genesis, take care of nature. Yeah, you've got to live as a part one with nature. Yeah, it, from your profession.
Yeah. Yeah, if you can't go into to battle with the confidence based off of coming out of Egypt, your ancestors coming out of Egypt following a, a cloud and a and pillar of fire, then yeah, there's you've you've missed some stories. It's been. All right. So as we talk about all of these next sessions, uh, again there are forty three laws here. <laughs> so I've kind of just broken it down into to some, some sections. So um, let's just look at uh, chapter 21. We'll start in verse 10 uh, and go kind of through verse 21. And I'm not going to read through these passages, but I'm just going to kind of highlight a little bit about what we see. Um, so we start with the, the first law here, marriage uh, with a woman who was captured in war. And so you go through... Uh, a guy can't just go and take a wife for himself. This is something you'd see all the other armies doing, all the other people, is go take all the wives you want. Um, and you kind of get into um, this piece where bring her in, let her shave her head, live with her for 30 days. It's like a test trial. I don't <laughs> but, you know, there's this whole shaved head aspect, and there's a lot of questions about why would you shave her head? What's the purpose of all this? Um, and you may have a lot of different ideas. I know some people think, this is to make sure that you really truly loved her um, in her most humiliating way um, do you still love her and if after 30 days you really don't love her then let her go um, and this goes back to this treatment uh, of, of pure religion we're not going to be like everybody else we're not just going to dehumanize people uh, Israelites are to treat people with respect uh, God loves all people we move into um, next law, uh, talking about the right of, of the uh, forgotten son in a polygamous family. This is probably we deal with maybe some of this in our society today, but the firstborn son had a lot of rights, had a lot of responsibility, um, but it was easy for, for a father to have a favorite and not give to, to the other son. This is also a reflection back to Abraham, right? So you gotta remember, here's Abraham, he had two sons and not to show favoritism. Um, it's, it creates all kinds of family problems when you begin to do this. And then in uh, 18, uh, you have the punishment uh, of an unsubordinate son. So these three laws together on marriage and family, uh, I think are really interesting. Um, the unsubordinate son, which is really fascinating. If your child is a drunkard or um, just a rebellious person, and you could take him to the elders and say, don't, I don't know what else to do with him. It's your problem. And the elders could say, well, time to kill him. <laughs> Let's take him out of the city gates. Let's stone him. Uh, the parents have to be there to watch. Uh, what's interesting about this law is no scholar, nobody else can find any historical reference of this ever having happened, um, that nobody did this. But what I think is really interesting when you read this story kind of gives you a little bit of trembles or a little bit of goosebumps when you start thinking about <clears throat> how Jesus came and fulfilled all the laws um, that Jesus wasn't a rebellious son but in this passage um, it talks about this the parents come to the other say this is my son he is rebellious um, but you look ahead to 
Jesus' baptism and you hear God's voice, the dove descends, this is my son whom I am well pleased. The irony of that is what happens to Jesus at the end? The people, the leaders take Jesus and kill him. Um, and so it's just, I don't know, it's just you see this, this passage probably stood out to the Jews uh, to Jesus' time, at least post-death and post-resurrection to we did this to Jesus and the parents were there. Mary was at the cross and there was God as well, right? The Father. We move into the next section now. There's 10 laws here um, where we talk about, again, this true religion idea uh, and illicit mixtures. But in 21, there's this idea that if you kill someone, someone dies uh, because of a, of a crime or whatever, and you hang them, um, you're not to leave them up on, on the tree. Uh, you're to take them down by nightfall, which again, if you foreshadow all the way to the cross, when does Jesus come down off the cross? That night, right? I mean, they take him down and goes to the tomb. But not um, only that, the, the Jews, this is a, it's an abomination. They, they went to Rome and said, we'll, we'll kill our, we'll have mass suicide if you don't let us, because of Deuteronomy. You've got to, not just for Jesus, but anyone yeah. who came down off so you can see all the way through even the law has an impact even on, on the story of Jesus uh, you're right the Jews were very cognizant of what was going on um, so you treat the body of a criminal with respect again this, these are all these little things that as they go into war is going to differentiate them from all the other people uh, in the world or in that, that part of the known world um, they're not going to fight fairly they're going to take their families. Um, if you were, your family was held captive, um, you'll never see them again. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen to them. It's not going to be good. But again, as a holy people, fight, fight differently. <laughs> uh, treat people differently. So we, yeah, go ahead. Is the, the hung on a pole under God's curse, uh, is, is that strictly foreshadowing of the crucifixion, or was there something else going on in the other cultures about because I've always heard the stories about you know hanging bodies or heads on fence you know fences or yeah. spikes and leaving them there as a message to the people of the other people and so so I hear both of those things but I hear both of those things from 3000 years on the other side yeah, I don't, I don't think it's exclusively that by any means, but you're right. I think as we go through this theme, you see the uncleanliness and the blood of innocent people. Um, there's also, I can't remember, there's some of the other stories that we'll see later. Um, just blood has to be accounted for, right? Yeah. God loves life. Um, and so to have somebody hanging for several days is kind of a, you know, spit in God's face okay. to say, yeah, this, is, this is disgraceful. Um, let's have respect um, yeah this love for life so uh, yeah it's not just foreshadowing of the cross and yeah right yeah to your point yeah it's yeah. more of an intimidating factor look who we are we're you know we can do this to you if you don't straighten up and do what we want yeah it's good Thank you. 
Yeah, I think you see the same thing Paul saw. Um, Paul talks about that, even though uh, I am weak, I am strong because of my faith in Jesus. Um, same thing here, going into war. You may be weak, but you are a strong people because of your faith in God. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, thank you. All right, yeah, feel free to jump in and stop me on any other questions or clarifications. So, um, let's see, where did we get to? We, uh, let's go down to uh, 22. Um, we'll start looking at 22. Um, we get into some of these passages about loving your neighbor. Um, so, when there's lost property, uh, take the time to return it. If you see it, figure out who it belongs to. I think this gets back into some of the discussions of other weeks. This is a people that's a community. Um, so it's not just advantageous uh, to, to that person who lost it, but it's also advantageous to you as well. You know, somebody's donkey goes missing. Um, that might benefit you later that they found their donkey and are taking care of the donkey. You might need that donkey for some reason. Um, and not to take it down. <laughs> chapter, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. There's the uh, if your yeah your if your neighbor's animal falls. Um, there's also the uh, don't wear clothes of the opposite sex. Um, I don't know if anybody has any comments on that in today's age. Have you heard any of that? Um, as I was reading through this a little bit more, I was like, well, why is this such a big deal? Um, and and I guess one theologian pointed out that they're probably again in some of the other cultures. You'd see a lot of uh, a lot of men just dressing up the women and forcing the women to go in, into battle, and uh, so uh, again, you're in the context of war. Uh, don't pull a Milan here, right? The Disney movie. Um, don't send your women into battle. Don't put them into any kind of warrior's uh, clothing and make them fight for you. Again, if women were kind of seen more as property, uh, a man probably could be a little bit oppressive and say, "You're going to go go fight for me." Um, this was this was not something God <laughs> would endorse or wanted to see happen. Uh, Twenty-two uh, in verses six through seven. Um, there's this interesting little story about uh, capturing a bird, um, and along with her young, that you can kill the young, but you can't take the bird uh, or the mother bird. You can't kill the mother bird. Anybody any thoughts on this? Has anybody thought about this one or? <laughs> so again, this one, yeah, go ahead. I mean, this, this kind of, it reminds me of a couple of things. It reminds me of the injunction not to boil a kid in its mother's milk. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and also kind of the, um, when you're overtaking the land, killing the people but not the trees. Uh, there's, there's a very practical uh, aspect to this, which is, Killing one one generation of food is one thing. Killing both generations of food at the same time, you're you're starting to impact the chain in ways that are harder to replace. Yeah, yeah. There's the practical side for sure. I've also read there's a little bit of the foreshadowing. And again, this goes back to Jesus, the Son, being sacrificed so that the greater good people the people could continue to live uh, in relationship with God. I think 
Yeah, it's good. All right, so we go from the bird. Uh, we move into chapter 22, uh, eight, in verse 8. We start to see five more laws on these illicit mixtures of, of different things. So we've got, um, and then on true religion, um, but what in the world does building a parapet around the roof of your house have to do with anything? <laughs> Is it really that big of a deal? Um, in our culture, again, why do we have to put you know, a fence around our roof of our house? Well, we don't have people sleeping out on top of our roofs at night, right? We don't have kids playing on our roofs typically. Um, so this is, again, maybe one of those triggers to say, as a good Israelite, keep in mind of all the different people who are going to interact with you in your home um, and make sure that you keep a safe environment. Uh, again, we want, we want to regard life uh, and you know, have a high regard for life. Let's take care of it. Let's do what we can to preserve the lives of others, um, as reckless as others may be. Um, or as much as they may abuse the law, I, I kind of look at this as like, you need to wear a seatbelt. <laughs> um, you can't make a car without a seatbelt. Like that's, it's for your own safety, it's for your own good. And so uh, to me, it's kind of a challenge to think about as you interact with others, what are other ways to make people's lives safe? Um, that may be a stretch, I don't know. There may be another, another reason here that scholars well, have not figured this, out. This does echo the very first law that we got in Deuteronomy because in, in the intro, I can't remember if it's chapter one or two, they're, they're going through all of this. We're looking into the promised land. Oh, by the way, set up these cities for people who accidentally kill somebody. So yeah. that, that was, for whatever reason, that was a big enough deal that they stopped the whole intro to Deuteronomy to go, we're going to do this law first. And so, I mean, because, you know, I mean, well, think about it. You, you got a house, you got kids coming over to play in your house. If you let one of them jump off the roof and die, you're going to be, you know, their parents are going to be really ticked with you. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, that's, and so you're going to, if you don't have the parapet up and some four year old goes flying off the roof, you're, you're heading out for one of those cities. It's just, it's a, it's a way of avoiding that. Yeah, and another practical side of this is I've got a friend uh, at work who uh, was staying at a hotel not too long ago and ended up sleepwalking all the way to the lobby in just his underwear. <laughs> and <laughs> so what are, the, what are they gonna do to prevent that from happening, right? So if people are out sleeping on, you know, where it's cooler on the roof, we wake up and sleepwalk right off the side of the, the house, right? And like you said, yeah, you've got, now we've got this whole thing where we have to have an accounting for this, this blood. We've got to take them to the different cities. There's, so yeah, save yourself a little bit of stress and put a fence around your roof for crying out loud, right? <laughs> And I've thought about it too. Is, is is Moses choosing some of these because, like you said, it's happened before? 
And then I start looking ahead to a scripture before is when two husbands get in a fight and the wife comes out to stop it and she grabs one of the other man by his private parts. You go, has that happened? <laughs> and who was that? What? Imagine, imagine what went on that day, right, in the community. Um, but I, it's a good point. <laughs> uh, so again, we see some in, in this section of 8 through 12, we see the, the, the fence around the roof, uh, not mixing seed in your vineyard. Um, and not mixing the ox and the donkey uh, together as plow animals and not mixing your different types of linen or clothing. Um, but then it's wear tassels and, and garments. Uh, be careful about what you're, what you're wearing. So why not the mixture stuff? Um, I'll, I'll talk in a second, but maybe I'll let you talk first if you've got any, any thoughts. So there's this kind of, maybe this concept of don't look like a prostitute um, because prostitutes would have a lot of mixed linen, attract the men, come and look. So there's this set yourself apart from those things that, again, back to true religion, that give the impression um, that you are sinful. Um, Don't do those things. And then you have the two vineyard seeds. Uh, You see Jesus even talking about about this in the New Testament. you know, if you go through and, and harvest uh, because you've got weeds in there, you could destroy the whole crop. And so if you've got two kinds of vineyards coming up and they're at two different times, um, you're going to lose one of the crops if you're trying to, trying to, you know, collect from one crop and the other one hasn't come in yet. Um, you could end up uh, messing up half your crop. But there's, I think it's more this symbolic idea of don't, um, don't mix with the other cultures. Um, don't do things as they're doing them. Stay holy, stay pure, um, because again, we're going into war. We can't, we can't risk uh, being like everybody else. They're not holy. They're not God's chosen people. They're not doing as God wants them to do. So make sure you, you stay on the straight and narrow here. Uh, and all these little symbols and all these little things are there to serve as a reminder um, to do right and, and to do pure. So any other? Can yep. I a story about my grandmother? We used to have a huge garden when I was growing up. My grandmother, we would plant the corn one end of the garden, have bean poles and do all that. Well, one year, I don't know if she just got tired or what, she said, this year we're going to plant the corn and we're going to put beans at the base of the corn. So when the corn stalk grows up, the beans go around. Just a weedy mess. I, mean, I remember we fed it in pigs. It's good. All right, so we go from uh, chapter, in chapter 22, from verse 13 all the way to the end of the chapter. Um, there are seven laws on marriage and sexual misconduct. Um, and we, I, I won't get into all the details on these, but, but basically, you know, if, if, man, uh, if a man accuses a woman um, of, of having slept around, uh, if he falsely accuses her, he's fined. Um, but if the accusation is correct, she dies. Uh, they go put her to death. And then there's all these others about if you're betrothed um, and, you know, we discover you're not a virgin and, and all this stuff. Um, there's a lot of consequences there for, you know, you, there's death that's on the line. That this whole idea of sex uh, and marriage, was a, it was a big deal back then. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with, again, the love for life. Um, and that sex is for the purpose of procreation. So it's, uh, you take it seriously, don't, don't mess this up. 
let's stay pure, let's stay clean, um, and let's not get into all these family disputes and these messy family situations. Uh, we see that in our own culture today, right? Um, there's a lot of just heartache um, because, because of incidents like this. Um, so that's kind of a long passage. I didn't want to necessarily camp there, but if anybody has any comments and we want to camp there, I'm fine with it. <laughs> All right, so the next section after that, um, we get into seven laws uh, on, uh, again, back to this true religion idea in chapter 23 and going all the way down um, to the end of that chapter. Uh, we talk about the uh, admission into the assembly of Yahweh. Um, there's this idea that only certain people during war uh, can go into the assembly of Yahweh. Um, certain people uh, can't join this, this elders circle to make decisions if they're not a part of the Israelites. And you can't go if, uh, um, if as a man, if your testicles have been crushed. And so there's this weird kind of, in our culture, we'd be like, wait a second. God doesn't like these people. They don't have a, a way to go in and talk to God. Um, but I think during this context, um, it's all about this, this purity, um, this perfection that God demands. As God as being a holy person um, has to have this, uh, this holy interaction with his people in order for him to stay and remain holy. And so all of this stuff leads up again to, to Jesus, that Jesus changes the game, right? Uh, because Jesus was perfect and was holy and died as a result of everybody else. Now everybody does have access to God um, as they all become you know, a, a personal and holy temple. Their body becomes a temple. Um, but it's, it's hard for some people to look at this passage and go, well, that's just not fair. Uh, I don't understand this. Any thoughts part, on that? Part of it was supposed to show you it's not fair. The reason they have these laws is because of man's sin. Absolutely. When you contemplate all of the sacrifices, blood sacrifices that were required, the, the amount of blood that would flow through the, the gutters has been like a river. <laughs> yep. Then there's this next passage, which is the uh, 23, 10 through uh, 15 is the... Uh, the sanctity of the military camp. Um, so this is where you get into uh, um, things like uh, what happens when a man has a certain kind of dream in the middle of the night. Um, so now he's unclean. And um, there's a couple of other passages here, and, and we're about to run out of time, um, where a woman, if her husband dies, then her brother-in-law has to take her in right and so if the brother-in-law decides he doesn't want her then she can go to the elders and say my brother-in-law won't take me in as a wife and won't take care of my needs um, she can 
asked to be divorced. And when that happens, the whole community goes and shames that brother-in-law and gives him a name that says, you know, you're not taking care of your own family. Uh, this is a grace. And one of the things that she does is, is supposed to do is pick up a, a sandal and hold it in front of his face and spit at it. <laughs> so why, what in the world does, what is, does that mean? And so some scholars think that's a symbolic nature of saying, you are not going to procreate uh, with me. And so my husband's name can't live on. So it's a way of, of a brother-in-law stepping, or a brother stepping into his older brother's path and saying, now the family name's gonna be extended off me, which is kind of a disgrace to that community. That's not the way it, do, way it happens. It's always by the firstborn son. That's how they keep the lineages. So if you're the younger brother, you've got a responsibility now to step into your brother's shoes and carry on his name and his legacy, not your own. Um, and so this whole, you got that story and then you got this story of, of this law about what do men do in a camp? Um, you know, if they have a wet dream, do they have to, they have to go outside the camp for a day? Um, you start to see this theme of semen is, is a powerful thing, right? It creates life. Um, but it's, it's just kind of, it's odd for us to talk about this kind of stuff, right? But in Deuteronomy, that, that was a big deal to God. Um, is you have the power to create life as, a, as created in the image of God. Um, you have the power to create more life. Take it seriously. Um, don't waste this. And when you are creating life, um, do it in a manner um, that is respectful, <laughs> um, that is pure. So we are almost out of time, and there is no way to get through all of that. So two minutes left. Any, any comments or questions or things you want to add or any of these other laws we didn't get to that you want to ask about or talk about? I think the most striking that I, I discovered once upon a time is the first one in the 24th chapter. When I was growing up, I was taught if, you, if there was a divorce and someone remarried and then they became single again, the only legitimate marriage they could have would be to go back to that first spouse. And this yeah. law says that's a core right. to God. To go back to the first spouse after being married to someone else is a core. So it's, it's strange to me how our theology ended up being something that's, the Old Testament tells us is, is terrible. Yeah. That's always puzzling. Yeah. It puzzles me how, how uh, I, I don't know how they reconcile the fact that Abraham's first son, Ishmael, did not receive the blessing. That, that was, in the, how did they get out of it's a good question. <laughs> Who has the There's answer? Who has the answer for that? Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> they, so they, they tell that story a little bit differently. Yeah, so, um, so just to end from chapter 24 all the way through the end of chapter 25, hopefully you'll read that on your own, but, um, but again, we kinda, you'll, you'll read and you'll kind of see these themes come back out. Um, again, as you go into war, we can't forget about, um, about all the other people uh, that we're going to run into, their property. Um, but, but again, we're a people set apart, right, as Israelites live that way. Uh, and everything that you do, find symbols uh, and reminders of how to live differently. And so I think that's probably a challenge I'll end with our culture today is I don't know if we are that great at finding all those little triggers and things to remind us to live pure lives. In fact, I think sometimes we go the other way 
and we extend, we, we kind of cheapen grace as Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about and it's like, well, God will forgive us, if, but we need to be relevant in our culture. We need to, we need to relate to other people. Where Deuteronomy is, is the other extreme, you're not going to relate to other cultures. You're going to live pure as God wants you to live um, so that people will know that, that I am God and that this is my war. This is not man's war. So I'll leave you with that. Thanks. That's <laughs> right.